0: The Internet's Only, All-Business and Financial Radio Network, Voice America Business.
1: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito.
2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have with us a special guest, Benjamin Quinto. Benjamin is a youth advocate, a movement strategist, and an active artist, which I'm really curious about what an active artist is, but I know it's going to be really cool because Benjamin's doing it. And um, we have a show today about the voice of vision, the power of youth action. Welcome to the show, Benjamin. Thanks so much, Cheryl. It's great to be here with you. Oh, I'm so glad you could join us today. Um, now, did I hear right that you're in New York?
3: I am. Ooh, in the city? And it's unusually warm here, actually.
2: Really? I, right. thought, it w- I thought it was winter.
3: Hey, it's supposed to be, but I don't, think the, I don't think everyone quite realized it should be.
2: ah uh-huh. uh- Okay.
3: Yeah, we're right here in the center of New York City, just a few blocks south of Times Square.
2: Oh, great. Oh, great. Well, you know, um, I know what city life is like. I am in San Francisco, and so we're on opposite ends of the U.S. today, but people around the world are listening. So we are blessed to have technology working for us, right? <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So um, let's talk a bit about kind of how you got started in the work you're doing and share with our listeners a bit about your history. Now, you you started when you were about 18. You developed a real interest in the world at large, or maybe it was long before that. But at about 18, you did something about it, and you authored a proposal for a UN Youth Assembly. And when I think about that, and I think about being 18 years old, and I think about how um, the UN may be a bit daunting, uh, I wonder, um, what was your purpose in, in authoring something like that, and what prompted you to begin with to decide to just do it? Well, they, that wasn't the first
3: step I took, just so you know. Oh, okay. I didn't just have an idea out of the blue going, hmm, let's give young people a voice in permanent <laughs> forum at the United Nations. You didn't. <laughs> no. Uh, I, had a, I had a much different goal. Really, it was much simpler, too. All wow. I wanted to do was entertain people. Really, my greatest pleasure in life was derived from bringing joy into the lives of others. And since I was young, since I was seven, eight, nine, Uh, I was singing, I was performing, I was dancing, I was acting, and I was being the family and class clown. Uh, I really just loved entertaining people and um, was actually pursuing a career in in that. By the time I was uh, 13 or 14, I had an agent and representation in New York and was doing some off-off Broadway work and some commercials. I even did a spot on a soap opera. Uh, I really thought that I was going to be an actor, and that was my, my purpose. And uh, what happened is that I started falling into this depression for a number of reasons. Um, I don't know if I need to go into all the specific reasons, but the interesting fact about me going into that depression was that I also noticed I wasn't the only one. In fact, a lot of my peers seemed to be kind of hopeless as well. And I really started to ask myself some questions about happiness. Why wasn't mm-hmm. I happy? Why weren't my friends happy? What was going on in the world? Um, so there, there isn't a, still a, a direct line between that experience and actually writing this proposal that you brought up. Uh, I actually had to do some soul searching, and mm-hmm. I started speaking with friends and saying I don't know what I want to do. And one of my best friends, actually, her name is Leslie Tyler-Smith, she said, you know, I'm going to this meeting at the United Nations. Uh, perhaps you want to come? Mm-hmm. And I really hadn't heard of the United Nations. I mean, I had seen its name in the newspaper. I was about 17 at the time. And I thought, sure, why not? And uh, went along with her to a meeting of a non-governmental organization there. And suddenly was sitting in a room full of people whose lives were committed to changing the world. Mm -hmm. Here I was at 17, not knowing what to do with my life, thinking I had an idea with this whole entertaining people. And... um, feeling unfulfilled at that point with that vision and sitting in this room with these people who were just completely committed to doing what they could to try and improve the world. And I thought immediately, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Sign me up. Can I have a job?
2: (laughs) That's fascinating, you know, and it speaks so much to um, how important it is to expose people in different stages of life to um, kind of a bigger perspective of what's happening in the world Um, You know, I I find it really interesting that you say, you know, you were so um, fascinated and you were really driven to entertain people, and my first kind of real... My like response in my brain was, "Oh yeah, well the UN—that's a good place to entertain people. (laughs) You "You do have a big audience, yes."
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and they're actually quite tired in their seats and often half asleep. Oh. Oh, I bet, I bet. Did you grow up in New York? Were you in New York? I didn't. Actually, I had a really blessed childhood in many ways. I was born in Florida, lived there for seven years, and then uh, moved with my family to France for a year and a half, and then Spain for four and a half years, so I spent about six years growing up on the Mediterranean, and we moved to New York when I was 13.
2: Uh, So you already had um, a little bit of the, you know, traveling the world fever. You had a little bit of a taste of cultures different from the U.S., and a little bit of a life. Of um, you know, just sharing a different way of being in the world.
3: Absolutely, I was exposed to the world. I was exposed to different cultures. I was given a a tremendous appreciation, or developed a tremendous appreciation rather, for these different cultures and lifestyles and parts of the, the planet. And um, how amazing to be kind of almost fluent in four languages by the time you're nine or ten years old. Wow. Um, I consider myself beyond lucky. I really, I think I had an extraordinary opportunity, um, and it certainly played a big role, I think, in, in my uh, emerging or developing worldview as
2: a result. That makes a lot of sense. And then when you decided to um, take on the UN, we'll just call it that, (laughs) take on the UN, Um, at at the age of 17, you said, you know, sign me up, Um, what did you do first? Okay, well, well, here's what happened, because I don't don't consider it at all
3: as me kind of taking the UN Mm -hmm. on. Here's what happened when I was in the room. I saw that there were people out there trying to change the world, and I was becoming clear on the fact that the world needed to change. Mm -hmm. I was learning that there was all kinds of poverty, injustice, environmental degradation, wars, um, and my peers who I saw were um, extremely unhappy and and quite hopeless about their future. Mm -hmm. So I saw uh, that there was this institution committed to all of these really high principles and ideals, but not achieving them. And I saw that these young people who supposedly were embodying these kinds of principles of hope and idealism and enthusiasm, energy, uh, but having no outlet in which to share them, so actually, rather than taking on the UN, I thought, wow, here is a perfect solution. The UN benefits from what young people have to offer, and the young people offer by actually having a, a, an avenue in which to become involved, feel more engaged, and feel more in control of their future. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw it as a definite win-win, um, and before I actually authored the proposal, I I just started doing research. Well, what is the UN? How was it created? By who? Uh, What has it achieved? What are its criticisms? How could it change? And and where could young people be involved? And to me, it just seems so clear. Mm -hmm. If we could bring these young, hopeful, idealistic, enthusiastic voices uh, into the UN's process, then perhaps we could get closer to achieving peace in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And I thought, at the same time, well, even if we don't achieve, uh, even if we don't succeed in creating this permanent youth assembly that would give young people a voice, maybe in the process we would create this friendship, this network of friendships around the world that at least in 20 years' time, once we had aged and matured into our own positions of power or influence, then at least then we might be able to stop the war because we would have friends in all of these places and it would be so much harder to press a button that would send a bomb.
2: Oh, that makes so much sense. That's quite a vision for someone of that age. And I dare say um, that if you had not had your world experience in growing up, it may not have been as easy to, to move into something like that, to have the sense that you could actually have the capacity to influence something this big.
3: You know, I think there's, there's two factors there. Uh, the first is I was coming from a place of desperation, really. Um, my my own levels of depression had reached uh, a pretty serious level. Um, and at the same time, I, I say half-jokingly only, I, I didn't know
2: any better. Hmm. You didn't know any better? Y- you don't know what can't be done. Oh, ah, yeah, 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 right. Sometimes that is the best way, right?
3: Uh, yeah. yeah, there's... Yeah. there's there's a lot of value in ignorance in, in that particular regard. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if I would have known now what i know known then, I think I may <laughs> never have started.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, so, but you did start, and you decided to take the idea, take the support from people who said, you can make this happen, and, and actually author a proposal for UN Youth Assembly. What happened when you did that? Well, the proposal started out as
3: a letter uh, that I sent to anyone who would receive it, anyone who I had met at the UN at that point, any of my friends and my friends' friends and my parents' friends, and I said, listen, this is what I believe. I believe young people can, uh, need, and deserve to have a voice in world affairs uh, uh, on some level. Mm -hmm. And I intend to work towards the establishment of a UN Youth Assembly, and I welcome uh, the collaboration of anyone else who who likewise feels that young people should have a voice. And I just sent that letter out there while I was doing the the research that I Uh started. And responses really started pouring in just from young people, from people at organizations, from my contacts at the UN, and they all said, this is, this is a great idea. This is, this is a wonderful idea. I fully support mm. it. And young people kept writing and saying, how can I get involved? I want to help do something like this. And I had a quandary right off the bat because I was just proposing an idea and everybody else was saying, how can we get involved?
2: Yeah.
3: And I realized pretty early on that there was a... A critical disconnect uh, I kept on seeing in the media that young people were apathetic uninvolved disinterested into gangs violence drug and alcohol abuse etc cetera, etc cetera. and I knew some of this to be true but the response that my letter and outreach was generating was proving something really to the contrary mm. of what the media was telling me mm. that young people cared deeply and wanted to get involved they just didn't have an avenue so he, I was promoting this idea of a U.N. Youth Assembly from about
2: 1996 to 1999. But well, and we're going to hear more about that when we come back with Benjamin Quinto.
0: Talk about his money. Call us toll free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk Talk money money all the all the time. Voice America Business.
1: More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into embracing the the Journey with Karen humphrey Salad, broadcast to you every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk.
0: Money, money. Up to date business and financial news. Money, money. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America
1: Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: We're speaking with Benjamin Quinto today, youth advocate and movement strategist. Ben, we were speaking before the break about how you began to develop um. The, what has turned into the Global Youth Action Network, um, and simply by starting to do a lot of research, write a letter, and having an overwhelming response from youth to your idea to create this collective of a UN Youth Assembly. So continue your story. What, what happened as you, you got so much, such a clear yes from
3: youth? Well, that's right. I got it from young people, not necessarily the UN. Mm. <laughs> uh, but young people were all saying, absolutely, I, I want to get involved. How can I get involved? And that's where I began to realize one important piece, is that I was, prom- I was suggesting or proposing this forum at the UN, which would give voice to young people, let's say two from every country. Um, but there wasn't uh, an avenue through which the broad or broader youth population could actually get involved in such a project. And I saw that as a huge opportunity lost, in fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, while doing this outreach and promoting the idea, I discovered something that I didn't know at all, that there was this whole global youth movement out there already. There were millions of young people like me who cared, who were trying to make a difference in their community, who were doing all kinds of really extraordinary projects at the community, at the national, at the regional, even the international level, all around the world. And so those two factors really were key in what turned out to be a major turning point in the the project. Um, We needed to address the fact that young people wanted to get involved and didn't have the avenue. And there were all of these young people already involved, active and involved in their communities, but nobody knew they were there and their efforts were disconnected. So uh, after some reflection, we'll put it that way, Uh, we started working towards what was initially going to be the the quote-unquote launch event for the Youth Assembly. And we gathered young people from around the world and looked at these two things and said, okay, maybe we've got it wrong here. We don't need to create an assembly. We need to create a network. A network would give voice to much more than just these two or four hundred young people, perhaps then we could get millions or tens of millions of young people together and then try turning that amount of voices away from the doors of, of the policymakers. makers.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, this is in 1996, is that right? That's when it started. And in 1996, there was no MySpace, there was no Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So this idea of a network this large was really in its infancy, yeah where did this come from in you that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> you you were you were clairvoyant you know? no, i you know like I said, I think
3: it came largely from a place of desperation. Mm. I just saw that the world was not and forgive me for saying it, but what it should be I don't pretend mm-hmm. that i that I know what how everything should be in the world, but somehow I knew that there shouldn't be 35 wars going on, certainly not 55 years after the United Nations was created, mm-hmm. that there shouldn't be 30,000 children dying a day from preventable causes, that leading scientists of the world shouldn't be telling us that we're reaching a point of irreversibility. Um, really, I, there were all of these things, that, that all of this knowledge that I was coming across, which just reaffirmed this intuitive sense that things needed to change. And now, and this was, this was 11 years ago we're talking about, mm-hmm. I think the situation is honestly only more critical today.
2: Yeah, yeah, it sure is. So fast forward a little bit. You, you began hap- creating the network. Um, the network then, tell us how it became the Global Youth Action Network.
3: Sure. In uh, July 1999, we had what was going to be the launch event, and it was a conference. And there, we laid out a plan to create this network. And we said, OK, we're going to focus on increasing communication between uh, all of these various groups out there, so that in, in speaking with each other, we would uh, uh, kind of help uh, share lessons and share resources and minimize competition and redundancy, mm-hmm. because we realized that there was a lot of overlap out there. Mm-hmm. And in the process, we would try to foster collaboration among these groups and then give uh, a, a voice to young people in policy making processes like at the United Nations. But equally as important, we would try and get the stories that I was coming across that we all knew existed out there in the mainstream media so that we could begin to dispel this myth that exists and is perpetuated by the mainstream media about the role that young people are playing. I call it the chasm in between the perceived reality and the reality that is. Mm-hmm. The reality is that there is a global youth movement. There are tens of millions of young people all Mm -hmm. around the world who are doing everything they possibly can to try and create positive change. Mm -hmm. But how often do you see that in the media? Right.
2: right. In fact,
3: what you always see is a young person takes a gun to school and uh, shoots it up and becomes an instant superstar. Right. You have to ask yourself, I actually asked this to Clinton when I had the opportunity to meet him in the White House. I said, what kind of message does this send to young people? Imagine giving that same recognition to young people who have done some extraordinary project that has improved the lives of tens of thousands
2: of people. Mm-hmm. That is such an important question. So why, what was the circumstance where you met President Clinton? It was
3: actually around that same time in 1999. There was this rash of school shootings. I was involved at that point with a couple of other projects, including the, the National Youth Action Council, and we had been pestering, uh, pestering the White House uh, <laughs> to pay attention to young people's issues, especially leading up to the 2000 elections, talking about the importance of the youth vote and of youth civic engagement. Uh, and so because of the school shootings and because of the upcoming elections, because of Clinton's... I, I think, last year in office or so. He brought uh, about 13 young people in to talk about youth violence, and that's where I, <laughs> I like to say I grilled him. I wasn't exactly <laughs> a grilling, but I was trying to put across a very simple message. Uh-huh. You know, what you appreciate, appreciates. Uh-huh. And what you focus on, if it's youth violence, is going to, uh, is going to react in, in the manner in which you recognize right. it.
2: Right. And, you know, I, what you're saying is so important because what, um, what brought you to the White House was violence, which, I, you know, I find a little um, kind of interesting in itself. Um, the fact that you were actually invited was about problem-solving mm-hmm. and not simply about um, how can we make the world a better place. And, you know, it, it's what we hear today with the presidential elections going on in the U.S., um, we continually hear that, Youth um, are lethargic. They don't care so much. Um, I think, though, this last week there was um, a cover on one of the major news magazines that had a photo of a group of youth and said, why youth care again and why their vote counts. And, you know, the, the magazine, went, the article went on to say that um, youth are finally stepping up because they're so unhappy with what is do you see it that way? Do you see that that's occurring?
3: Absolutely. There was just a, a three or fourfold. There's statistics on this which I don't have off the top of my head, but a three or fourfold increase since 2000 in the voting numbers um, in the recent primaries.
2: Now that again, another statistic that most people don't know. There's right. still the perception,
3: right? Well, you know, I, I think this is a much broader problem which, you know, very simply also ties into the if it bleeds, it leads belief that mm-hmm. uh, governs a lot of the media. Mm-hmm. The, the problem that young people face, and especially the problem that I'm referring to of the positive actions not being recognized, is that the media, the mainstream media, thinks that there isn't much demand for this or knows that there's a greater demand for the stuff that's more controversial or violence-oriented. Mm-hmm. So that's really what ends up being on the news, and it's a, it's a great pity it's a great pity. Mm-hmm. When you know, when we when we launched Guy and in 1999, right after that conference, I basically went after some funding, and we got two foundations, including Singer Jewel to each uh, Singer Jewel's uh, Foundation, Higher Ground for Humanity, and the LifeBridge Foundation. They each gave us twenty-five thousand dollars, and we opened up our headquarters in New York, mm-hmm. and decided that what we were going to do was be the clearinghouse, if you will, of today's global youth mm-hmm. movement, and mm-hmm. play that con- th- that that central connection point, and start to find where these stories were and really push them out in the media. Hmm. And we, we succeeded in doing that to some extent, but it's such an uphill battle to get the media to want to, to recognize these stories, even inspiring as they are, because as soon as there's a school shooting,
2: that dominates the news. Right, 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 right. Well, and of course we live in the world of terrorism is the topic of the moment, So it's all all about fear. It's all about fear. Um, Do you see that there is a way to influence this other than just continuing to put the message out there? I mean, is there a way to influence that shift in the hunger, the desire that this, for some reason, that our society has for the, um, as you called it, if it bleeds, it leads if it bleeds, it leads. Right.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a couple, a couple of interesting points tied to that. Um, first of all is that our, in, you know, as humans, we're, we're far from perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we see an accident, we want to see what's happening. Uh, we have, a, I think, a natural tendency to go for that kind of, that, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. the violence and everything. And if that's what's offered to us on the television... That's probably what we'll watch, if mm-hmm. you speak in general terms. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that if you offer something compelling that isn't mm-hmm. that, that's mm-hmm. more inspiring, that's positive, that right. it won't generate the, right. uh, an amazing right. response.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, yes, I, I, people say to me a lot that they, um, when they do watch television, they watch things like the Discovery Channel and the History Channel. And when yeah. people relate their experience of um, watching television, they will relate a story about... Oh, I saw this amazing discovery channel program right. or and so they are inspired, which I find fascinating it 's not as if people are not um, don 't have capacity to comprehend it 's not as if they don 't have capacity to be inspired or to be so intrigued with all of this, and yet You know, all the craziness is is where um, we tend to focus, right? And it it trumps
3: in terms of it's it's uh, it trumps all the other coverage in terms of the distribution it gets. But this is another reason. Early on in in the Guyan history, the Global Youth Action Network, we partnered with a group called Chat the Planet because they were working with media, mainstream media, to really put out an honest uh, and brutally honest, if you will, youth voice. And we recognize the importance of actually having partnerships with the media so that we had an avenue to get these voices out here, uh, out there into the public. So talk about Chat the Planet. Sure. It's, it was... Um, It was started by uh, a couple of women who actually started one of the coolest nonprofits in NGOs working with young people, and then they moved into production. And Chat the Planet really was a a property that um, actually is still a property that connects young people from different countries to talk about real issues affecting their lives. Mm -hmm. So how often do you see young people... um, expressing their honest opinion about today's hottest <laughs> topics in the media. Not so often. How often do you see young people at the front lines of wars in which they had absolutely no role in starting?
2: Yeah, All yeah. the time.
3: So one of, we started to work with them to find topics and find young people who could really speak well and provided an interesting argument on some of these topics. And while we were doing the initial production, the, the war in Iraq was starting.
2: Ah. Well, I know there's more to that story. We'll be right back.
0: All we talk about is money. Call us toll free, 866 472 5790, and talk to the experts. We talk Talk money money all all the time. Voice America Business.
1: Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open.
0: Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
1: The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity, but being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On The Economy and the Markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Markets with Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world.
0: Stocks, bonds, 401ks, investments, refinancing. We can help you. Call now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. Voice America Business.
1: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Our special guest
2: today, Benjamin Quinto, youth advocate and movement strategist. Benjamin, you've been telling us some really amazing things. You were, before break, we were talking about Chat the Planet and how things got started. And uh, we left off with the war in Iraq just starting.
3: Yeah. Well, we were in the middle of production with this series, um, linking young people from places like Australia, Jordan, um, South Africa, and the, the war in Iraq was coming up, and we, we thought to ourselves immediately, wait, here we are giving young people a voice on topics like sexuality or um, war or um, nationality, national identity, um, consumerism, and here the war is going on, and no one could argue that that's really the, the most important issue for any young people affected by it, because uh-huh. These are the people fighting the war. Right,
2: right. So
3: we actually teamed up with uh, uh, another group called DCTV and sent over some producers to Iraq and started doing links between Iraqis and American young people to talk about the war two weeks before it started. Oh, boy. And, you know, had an interesting conversation, which then actually got a lot more interesting the second time we did it, two weeks after the war was declared over. Um, And then we did a third link, and that third link ended up being broadcast on MTV, which was excellent because that's exactly what we were trying to do. We were trying to get these voices of young people heard in the mainstream media so that there was a greater representation and so that they could feel like they had some kind of voice in the process. So in terms of working with uh, the media to get these not just positive stories but youth voices out there, that was the initial intention of the Youth Assembly. If we could just help young people feel like they mattered, like they were appreciated, like they had some kind of say in society Mm. because we had done polling and 70% of them said, no, we don't feel like we have any voice in adult society. And what room is there then to have any hope?
2: And so not only are you um, connecting people, you're literally giving them hope for life and well, maybe for a lifetime.
3: We, I, I guess in a subtext, we, we, hope, we hope that would be the case. Of course, it's not our mission to give mm-hmm. hope.
2: Right. It
3: is to give a voice and to support mm-hmm. collaboration mm-hmm. and to find ways of, of leveraging all of these tremendous positive efforts that young mm-hmm. people are putting into mm-hmm. change.
2: Can you give a couple of examples of how specific examples of how this has literally changed someone 's life? Okay, well you know I, I would I would maybe answer the
3: question a little bit differently because our target population per se is not an individual young mm-hmm. person. Gaian focuses on organizations okay. um, our our, our, our uh, mandate, if you will, is to support this growing network of institutions of all kinds and sizes. So we uh, worked with uh, one of our partners, Youth Service America, to uh, launch a, a project called Global Youth Service Day, which within about a year and a half was mobilizing over a million young people in 150 countries. Um, I'd say that probably had a good impact on a lot of the individuals involved, but in terms of the organizations, to be able to know that they were collectively part of a much larger effort, which was helping to shift the perception that existed about young people, I would say was significant. Um, There were a couple of cases in 2000 where we sponsored the official youth delegates to the General Assembly. Um, These are basically young people who represent their country and their country's young people in front of the main body of the United Nations. Uh, We sponsored, uh, in essence, the first two from uh, the Global South. Uh, Well, not from the Global South, but from uh, Bangladesh and India. We also started giving away awards in 1999, actually, just before we launched Guyana officially, and since then, a few more times, $1,000 awards to young people who have started a project that measurably improved their community. There was this one young man, 16-year-old Ram Gopalakrishnan in uh, India, who decided that he was going to set out to end illiteracy. You can imagine a young 16-year-old setting out with this mission in one of the most populous uh, populous, uh, countries on the planet. So we gave him a, a $1,000 award, uh, which goes quite a long way in a, in a place like India. Absolutely. And he was just so grateful for having been recognized uh, for his efforts uh, towards that vision. He had actually created a school, managed to create on his own a school, completely run with volunteer teachers that was serving dozens of kids in his community and surrounding communities, teaching them basic, um, basic courses and English courses. And there were other cases like that, you know, just extraordinary young people who had, who had put everything on the line to follow a, a mission or a vision they had mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that would improve the lives of others.
2: It must be inspiring to you to have access to all this information about what is really going on, as you said earlier, the perception versus the reality of what's really happening in the world with youth. Um, and how has this changed who you are?
3: Oh wow, that's a deep question. (laughs) I it it, following following my heart and doing this work has been probably the most rewarding experience in my life. It's also I would have to admit being part of the most challenging experience I've had. Mm -hmm. But the most amazing aspect to it has been that I have made friends with what I consider to be the coolest people on the face of the planet. <laughs> These are people who have changed the world, who are changing the world, and who are committed to doing whatever they can to try and change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I know some of the most inspiring young people on the planet, period. Mm-hmm. And that alone has given me so much hope, so much in, uh, so much uh, of a willingness to keep fighting despite the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just consider myself blessed to be in a community of people like this who have, uh, who have set this vision for what the world could be mm-hmm. and accept nothing other than steps towards it.
2: So technology really has facilitated your connection to these people around the world. Without um, a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you think that this, this movement and um, the continuing um, expansion of technology how do you see this affecting the constructs of politics and commerce in the future?
3: Wow, you ask a really, <laughs> really big question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it, it's going, it has and will continue to impact it in immeasurable ways, to be honest. Um, I would have to say that were it not for the Internet, I would not be doing this work. Mm-hmm. I would not have been able to achieve what we achieved. I think the... the the spread of technology, the growing ubiquity of access to the internet is basically putting the world at the fingertips of the civilian population. Mm-hmm. And what they choose to do with that is really up to them and the limitless and what can be achieved. You see fundraising campaigns done. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened with Howard Dean, with Ron Paul, raising millions right. and millions in very short times and very small contributions. Move On did the same thing. You've got e-voting and e-parliaments. You, it's, it's really leveling the playing field, except for the fact that access to uh, technology is not even or evenly mm-hmm. spread. Mm-hmm. But I would say for our own work, um, we recognize that technology was key Absolutely, because that's what enabled me to start communicating with young people around the world. That's what enabled the, the, uh, the initial stages of this networking. What we had done, wanting to be the clearinghouse for the youth movement, was, create, was to create actually five integrated databases. Uh, we had people, organizations, events, publications, and services. And uh, we put this online in a website with our mission of you know, uniting the youth movement for okay. a better world and immediately connected with this group in Canada called Taking It Global. Who were started by, which was started by two young technologists, maybe just about a year and a half younger than I was. And we saw their website and we were like, wow, you guys have it. You guys rock it. You guys have all the skills that we were kind of lacking. So immediately we partnered up with them. And they had more of a focus on technology and on individuals, and we had more of a focus on organizations and um, collaborative strategies and programming. And for the past, since the end of 2000, Sometime in 2001, we've been working hand-in-hand. Hand.
2: Wow. And, and I, I just want to mention that taking it global, I noticed when I saw the name in print, taking it looks like taking IT global, which is a little play on words there, I think. Yes, it really, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really it's cool. Um, and so the partnering that has happened, the collaboration that has happened, I mean, it's such a model for what has to happen in the world, the collaborative aspect of things. Um, do, you, do you think that um, Gaian is going to continue in the form that it's in, or what do you think is next for it? Well, collaboration is
3: at the core of everything we do. It's why we created the Global Youth Action Network. It's imbued in every one of our projects. It's uh, central to uh, so much of the work that we do. Um, I'd have to say that a really interesting part for me has been that even though we were here to facilitate collaboration to the broadest extent that we could, the more our organization grew and the more quote-unquote successful that we grew, the less we were able to devote our, our energy into the areas exploring those collaborations. When we had first launched Gaian in uh, 1999, we actually didn't incorporate it. We didn't incorporate it for several years, but we didn't tell anyone that. We let people assume what they would assume when they saw the name, the brand, Mm -hmm. the identity. But we knew that we didn't want to overly define something that we wanted to be collectively owned by the movement. Oh, interesting. If we were really going to be about uniting the movement, the movement had to feel ownership. They had to f- feel like this was theirs. Mm-hmm. And if we were to have created a C3 with a very clearly defined mission, objectives, uh, bylaws, and everything, they would have said, well, wait, that's not ours, it's yours, mm-hmm. and stop pretending to be us. So we actually didn't become our own standalone organization until 2004. But very few people knew that. And um, two thousand and five, by the way, was our absolute biggest year. Um, by that point, we were connecting over one hundred and eighty countries we were mobilizing a million and a half people a year. We were giving away about fifty to one hundred thousand dollars a year to young people. Mm. But for me, that was uh, the, the, the kind of beginning of a need to look at what we were doing and, and reexamine our priorities. Uh, the more successful that we grew, the more it took to maintain what ah, it is we had yeah, developed. Yeah. The less we were looking outside at what we could do to serve the movement, and the more we were looking at, in, at our own stuff inside going, how do we sustain this? How do we mm-hmm. hire enough staff, pay them well enough, do all of these things? So <laughs> I, have a, I have an interesting kind of perspective on, on the whole collaboration thing. I mm-hmm. still believe that it's key. So, you know, just to kind of give you a sense of what happened between then and now is we looked at our partnership with Taking It Global and saw a real opportunity. Why did we need to have two separate organizations doing a lot of work together, both youth-led? There is a lot more that we could be doing.
2: Well, I can't wait to hear what that is. (laughs) We'll be right back.
0: We talk about his money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790 and talk to the experts. We talk, talk money, money all the, all the time. time. Voice America Business.
1: Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.
0: All we talk about is money. Call us toll free, 866-472-5790 and talk to the experts. We talk Talk money money all all the time. Voice America Business.
1: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. We're
2: speaking with Benjamin Quinto today. Benjamin, um, as Executive Director for the um, Global Youth Action Network, GAIN, as it's called, You've described um, a lot of accomplishments, huge success as an organization, and you got to the point where it was um, becoming um, so much energy to manage what you had. Um, What did you decide to do at that point when you realized you were looking inward more than outward? Mm. Uh, I had
3: to had to figure out a better solution. you know. As a youth-led organization, especially, I would say, as a youth-led organization, it is not easy to maintain a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. What it takes, financially, human resource-wise, just everything. Um, you're basically running a company with no product that you're selling to sustain the operations other mm-hmm. than what you're able to raise, um, either through fundraising or through contractual services and other things. So you know, there's, there's many youth organizations. There's hundreds of thousands of them uh, that pop up here and there, but there's very few that actually last, uh, more than a few years. There's a lot of, uh, trans, transiency, uh, in the, in the youth movement. So here we are going on, you know, eight years as an organization and growing more successful and finding it harder and harder to sustain the, the success that we were encountering. Mm-hmm. And, um, But, you know, we were already working in partnership with Taking It Global. Taking It Global basically started and runs the equivalent of MySpace for the youth movement. Their website, takingitglobal.org, has about 2 million hits a day and a couple hundred thousand registered users. Uh, It's basically the place to go for young people who want to get involved, connect with opportunities, find avenues to be heard, et cetera. So they, you know, they were started about... uh, around the same time as we were, and you know, also have the same issues. What does it take to truly sustain a youth-led nonprofit? And how do you keep pursuing your mission um, when you have to make, sustain a growing operations? It just became obvious that we didn't necessarily need two separate organizations, given how close we were working together. Uh-huh. And because so much of our, our efforts are focused on collaboration, how could we take our own partnership to a new level So that's really the direction that we're going in now. Um, I'm actually uh, pushing 30, (laughs) hard to believe. You're so old. (laughs) (laughs) For a youth activist, I am. (laughs) Um, But I was clear that I couldn't still be running the organization at Mm. 30. And so it was another opportunity to look at, okay, what do we do with what we've managed to build? And so we have a, a new, young, younger executive director who has come on board, and we're actually moving our, our strategic partnership with uh, taking it global into a much stronger kind of co-managed situation.
2: Mm. Well, now, so you really do believe that there has to be a young person who is heading up the organization.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We strongly believe in youth-adult partnership, mm-hmm. but this is really about young people. It's about youth leadership, and it's about supporting young people in being the leaders that they actually can be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that it should remain youth-led. That's not to say that young people, uh, that adults can't and shouldn't be involved, but the decision-making, mm-hmm. the leadership, really needs to come from the young people themselves. Mm-hmm. So what's next for you, Ben? <laughs> uh, good question. <laughs> I'm still figuring that out, but I think more, more than anything else, uh, some time for reflection is, is key for mm. me. I've been at this pretty much nonstop for 11 years, mm. since um, I was 17 or 18. And um, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot that I've learned over the course of doing this work. And I'm also heartened to know that I'm still equally committed to doing what I can to Mm -hmm. try and impact the world, but there is a lot of applying of lessons that I need to take into account now. Um, Where I put my energy based on what I've learned is something that I'm still gaining clarity on, but I do believe that young people are the key to social change. I believe they're the ones most able to mobilize um, at a level that is at critical mass uh, and able to raise and address the issues that really are um, facing us today and in the near future but i still also believe that these problems insurmountable as they seem can only be achieved if we work together mm. i don't believe we need more organizations more nonprofits mm. as much as better ways of aligning mm. our efforts mm. and so that's really where i hope to put my effort my my own energies into finding ways to leverage the uh, the impact of the efforts mm-hmm. that are already underway.
2: And just quickly, um, we talked about active
3: artists. What is that? <laughs> well, it's basically a, a mashup of the words activist and mm-hmm. artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been an artist since uh, before I was an activist, but I felt like I gave a lot of that up mm-hmm. in order to pursue the activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and art, artistry makes activism so much more interesting, too. So I'm hoping to just build in more of the things that I do, like photography and writing Mm -hmm. and composing, if I can, to the activist work that I hopefully will continue doing for quite a while longer.
2: That's brilliant. So are you um, going to stay connected with Guyane at all?
3: I am, absolutely, because I think that the knowledge transfer is Mm -hmm. crucial. Um, young people, I've always, I said this right from the start, actually, young people alone cannot change the world, and adults alone have proven that they can't, so it's going to take some kind of intergenerational partnership to truly solve these problems. Mm -hmm. Um, and only, only in that intergenerational partnership are we going to really see any real change.
2: If people want to get connected to Guyanne, let's remind them of how they can do that. Absolutely. The best uh, place to check out, um the
3: Global Youth Action Network and find out who we are, what we do more specifically, et cetera, would be to go to youthlink.org. That's youth, Y-O-U-T-H-L-I-N-K dot O-R-G. As I said before, we have a really close partnership with Taking It Global, which is definitely the place to go if you're looking to plug in, get Mm -hmm. connected, find out opportunities, events, resources, programs, organizations, other young people. There's countless things you can do on their website, and it's takingitglobal.org. And actually, linked from both of those sites, you'll find uh, numerous other web communities that are more issue-specific, like there's a Global Youth AIDS Coalition on Mm -hmm. Mm HIV-AIDS, which is youthaidscoalition.org, and there's chattheplanet.com, and there's other websites that are specific to projects.
2: Hmm. So where would we be able to talk to you If people wanted to talk to you and connect with you specifically, since you're stepping down as Executive Director, is there a way people can connect with you?
3: Well, I'm still reachable by the same old email I've been reachable on for some years now. It's Benjamin at YouthLink.org. I do ask people to be patient for a reply because I do still get a... A fair volume of emails mm. uh, and if there's more that they want to find out about me I have set up a, a personal website which is bquinto.com um, but I'm thinking of taking that down soon <laughs> just so I can really completely <laughs> revise my identity
2: oh, <laughs> the reinvention of self at the ripe old age of 30 <laughs> good timing <laughs> no? <laughs> fascinating absolutely fascinating Benjamin Quinto you are a profound and extraordinary gift to this world and um, no doubt quite an inspiration to those who are listening today and to many other lives you have touched around the world. It provides hope. Even though hope is not your mission, it provides hope. Um, People need hope in order to decide to go forward. And uh, you're an example of what's possible, and you're an example to people all around the world, and not just youth. But, but standing up and you know having a voice and saying something can be done, um, and and getting creative about how it can be done is important. So much gratitude to you for everything that you have done. Much gratitude to were sharing with us this morning um, what's possible and i am just so struck by your courage because it does take courage even though you said well if i knew then i may not do (laughs) now but my guess is that you would still have done that Um, my guess is you're quite a courageous soul So, Ben, thanks again. I hope to have you back. I I would love to delve into that question about the constructs of politics and commerce and how this makes a difference. I'd
3: be happy to join you for it sometime. Great. And, you know, thank you for this opportunity. I just want to say I consider myself blessed, really, for only having the opportunity to serve in this way.
2: Oh, wonderful. So I appreciate all our listeners today and look forward to having all of our listeners again. And wanted to remind everybody, I'm excited to announce that my new book, In the Spirit of Leadership, A Vision into a Different Future, will be available later this month in hardcover audio CD and a companion journal. And you can go to InTheSpiritOfLeadership.com to find out more. So remember, everyone, think big, because the world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito.